The Truth News Network. Conservative thought, not just talk. Bringing truth to political lies, misdirection, and disinformation. TNN, the Truth News Network. And your voice in the storm is Dan Newman. Gotta be honest with you. Not ever have I thought about just coming on here and pushing a cause or talking about something that's not something of substance. Folks, don't do all this work just to spout and talk and make my opinions known. That's not why we do this. We do this because we're chosen, all of us, not just us, but we're chosen to find facts, especially in the middle of all of the, I mean, egregious hiding of information and evidence and bad things that happen hiding all of that stuff. That's just become a way of life for many in the nation today. And sadly, folks, looking back through world history, it's not anything new. It's been going on since the beginning of time when the first men inhabited this planet. I guess it's just human nature. Well, what we've got to do, folks, is find ways to make human nature lead us to do the right things rather than just the selfish things that we want to see play out in our lives and the lives of others. We're going to get into a little bit of that today. Um, Our House Speaker, Nancy Pelosi, she finds herself in some um, real big trouble. And uh, she, as she always does, she tries to just push everything away that's controversial pertaining to her, like, oh, that's just foolishness. We're not going to talk about it. But this thing is sticking. And the illegal immigration, believe it or not, is back in the news after we've spent about a month thinking nothing's happening at the southern border. Maybe the Biden administration and Alejandro Mayorkas, head of DHS, they've got it all handled. Well, not only do they not have it all handled, it's worse than ever before. I didn't even realize that. And we're going to reveal to you something in just a few minutes about this administration and about illegal immigrants that's going to blow your mind. You're going to want to stick around for the entire show today if you can. And if you're at work, hey, pop in the earbuds, go ahead and do your work and give us a listen while it's all going on. There are lots of ways to do that. And by the way, anytime you miss a show or part of a show and you want to go back and recover what you missed, if you want to do the entire show, you've got iPhones, most of you do, or iPads, so therefore you have Uh, iTunes. On uh, iTunes, actually it's Apple Podcast, which is part of iTunes. You can go to Apple Podcast. Your phone or your laptop came with a um, podcast, an Apple Podcast icon. It's a little kind of purpley thing, and it's got circles in it. Just click on that, and when it pops up in the search bar, enter TNN Live. And it'll take you right to the directory for all of the shows that we have produced here over the past four or five months by date. You can just click on it and listen to it right there. Anything that you've missed in the past, any part of a show or any entire show, you can grab it there. You can do the same thing at Spotify. You can do the same thing at Google. Believe it or not, Google hasn't pulled us down yet. So it's on Google Podcast uh, Podcast as well. Check it out. 
but I'm glad you joined us here live today. I don't want to beat a dead horse and continue to talk about COVID-19 and vaccines every day. I don't want to do that. But here's the deal, folks. It's not a dead horse. It's still out there, and it's still instilling all kind of difficulties in our lives every day. And right now, especially right now, and just in time for one of the most joyous times of year when families and friends are getting together, they're celebrating the season, celebrating each other, those globalists working on their not-so-covert takeover roll out yet another SARS-CoV-2 variant. Another one, Omicron we're talking about. It's got a scary name. But besides having that scary name, the Omicron, it appears to be a nothing burger. And you go, oh my gosh, what are you talking about, Dan? Oh, they've, they've gone crazy. The universities around the nation are shutting down, which they are, one more time. According to Kim Iverson, The panic around Omicron doesn't make any sense. The symptoms, according to the doctor who discovered Omicron, Dr. Angelique Coetzee of South African Medical Association, she said the Omicron variant amounts to little more than a couple of days of fatigue and malaise. No serious illness has thus far been reported anywhere in the world. No Omicron patient has thus far required oxygen or even hospitalization for any of their symptoms. In other words, Omicron appears to be nothing more than a hyped-up cold. In an interview last week, Dr. Coetzee said this, looking at the mildness of the symptoms that we're seeing, apparently there's no reason for panic as we don't see severely ill patients The most predominant complaint is severe fatigue for one or two days with headache, body aches, and pain. Some will have a scratchy throat. Some will have a dry cough that comes and goes. Those are more or less the big symptoms we have seen. Now, you put that in the context of everything really bad we've seen come out of COVID. Omicron doesn't look deadly at all, does it? Despite that, Countries are going all out again, not just here, folks, around the globe. Closing borders, locking down residents without any evidence whatsoever. Chairman of the Global Physician Society of the World Medical Association, Dr. Frank Ulrich Montgomery, yesterday told German reporters he's confident Omicron could be as dangerous as the Ebola virus and call for the closure of Christmas markets in Germany nationwide. The U.S., the U.K., Canada, and the entire European Union have specially banned travelers from southern Africa, even though the variant has been detected in several other countries already. In fact, some reports claim Omicron emerged in the Netherlands before it was found in South Africa. It's also showed up in Australia, even though Australia's borders have been closed to the unvaccinated since March a year ago. So how did Omicron get there? The variant is also, as expected, blamed on, once again, those evil unvaccinated 
people. And the under-vaccinated now, you didn't get the boosters, right? Having just one or two doses of the COVID gene therapy will now leave you vulnerable to the same illogical attacks as having none at all. Folks, people around the world are now finding that partial compliance is no compliance with all this. You're either all in or you're all out. You either do as you're told every time or you're a science-denying domestic terrorist, along with everybody who saw through this game and said no from the beginning. We're in an all-or-nothing situation. This world has become an all-or-nothing world. There's no middle ground anymore, politically. There's no moderates in either party. You're either far right or far left, period. We either resign ourselves to give up all, everything, or we refuse to give up even the tiniest bit of freedom because they are intent on incrementally taking everything from everyone. So let's just look at the the obvious, the facts that are out there that are being glossed over by those who don't want us to see the truth in things. Have you noticed the lines between COVID-19 new cases and those who die with COVID-19 as their official cause of death or diverging? We talked about this yesterday a little bit. That can be the only reason for the incessant concentration by the experts and, of course, the media that result in their ranting and raving about the case numbers, not about deaths. Lots of cases, folks, don't mean pandemic-style rampant death. The very fact that Africa's low vax rate is now being blamed for the emergence of Omicron is particularly irrational when you think about the continent has extremely low levels of infections, compared to here in the U.S. or in Canada or in Europe, for example. Real-world data analyses, multiple analyses, have repeatedly shown vaccination rates have nothing to do with rates of infection. If anything, areas with the highest COVID jab uptake rates have higher case rates than areas with the lowest vaccine uptake And this case is no different. Africa is just not a hot spot for spread. The doctor also points out the curious timing of Omicron's emergence. Just days before the World Health Organization declared Omicron a variant of concern, South Africa had requested that COVID shot deliveries be delayed as they have too many doses already. Nobody wants them. By the end of last month, November, only 6% of the adult population in Africa had been fully jabbed against COVID. Worry about new variants and COVID in general is also very low. One poll found that 77% of respondents in five different African countries, they say they believe COVID will not be a serious problem over the next six months. Then all of a sudden, Omicron is announced and the world closes its borders to South Africans, blames the variant on their vaccine refusal. Coincidence? Meanwhile, the first four Omicron cases identified in Botswana were in fully 
vaccinated people. Full vaccination and boosters. Overall, all the evidence points to the COVID shots being ineffective and vaccine passports useless for preventing the spread. A plane with some 600 passengers, folks, a couple of days ago, was diverted for testing when the news about Omicron broke. 600 people on a plane. 10% of the passengers were found to have COVID. 13 of the 61, the 10% that were positive, had Omicron, while the rest had Delta or some previous strain. So, while most intercontinental travel requires proof of vaccination, it's clearly not doing anything to stop the spread of the virus. Fully vaxxed people are just as likely to carry and just as likely to share their virus as are the unvaccinated. Have you kept up with what's been happening down in Australia, folks? It's a police state now. So while Omicron is making headlines around the world, Australia, a clear forerunner and a test ground for this totalitarian takeover, is quietly trying to pass legislation to expand the digital identity system that currently allows Australians, it's the only way you can access government services. You got to go online, digital. As reported in the periodical The Conversation, quote, after asking around among major stakeholders, it seems this piece of legislation has largely slipped under the radar since it was unveiled in October 2021. The Australian government's proposed digital identity system promises a safe, secure, and convenient way to prove who you are online every time you access government services. In other words, it aims to streamline your experience by avoiding the need to repeatedly identify yourself when you go online and access a range of government services. Currently, you get to create a digital identity using a MyGov ID to access 80 different government services. This allows you to link your data across services like Medicare, Centrelink, and the Australian. The new legislation proposes an expansion of powers to outsource the process of identity verification to approved Australian businesses. They believe this could lead to an expansion of acceptance of the digital ID system so it can be used more widely than just to access government services. But this goes against all the standard advice about not linking all of your personal information like your tax history, your medical history, as it can lead to mass analytics, targeted advertising, advertising, and more. The government says this system will be entirely voluntary, and you know it won't be. They may start that way, but eventually they're going to say, you don't log into the system, you don't get to do anything. You don't get any of the government services. And they say that it's not designed to replace ID documents like your birth certificate, your visa, your driver's license, or your passport. It also says the system will not be used to access or record COVID vaccinations and that the information collected is not going to be used for things like a consumer proline 
or marketing. Australians who opt to use the system are being asked to put their trust in the government to share their data with verified identity providers. Uh Uh-huh. Well, what, what can I say? This was all predicted, folks. And note how to start this system is voluntary. That's how they get the populace to agree with what will eventually become unacceptable. It is a trap for all of us. If this thing flies in Australia, it's going to immediately go to the UK. If it goes to the UK and it flies there and the people accept it and it's working, working, being defined as what the government says is working, it's going to come here. It'll be in Canada. It's coming. Dan, they can't do that. That's totalitarianism. Yeah. And don't ever think they can't do anything. Did you think the government could shut down 80% of the economy of the United States with just a fearful story about a virus? Five years ago, you would have said that'll never happen. So this thing is, this ID thing that's being floated out there and put it implemented, it's likely it's not going to remain voluntary because this is exactly the kind of system that the technocrats want to implement around the world with the power to control it all being centralized with a as yet identified group of unelected leaders. A lot of folks have been surprised at the speed and intensity at which Australia is being turned into a dystopian nightmare. It doesn't have any semblance of democracy anymore or any individual liberties. At the end of November, the Australian army began forcibly removing residents in the Northern Territories to a quarantine camp in Darwin. Now, that was put out initially when it first began to happen, and everybody said, oh, it's a conspiracy, that's a conspiracy. It's not, it's fact. And that's in addition to their hard lockdowns. We shouldn't be surprised. Australia and New Zealand are ground zero for Chinese influence. That's according to NPR international correspondent Rob Schmitz, who deal, detailed that influence in an October 220. uh, October 2nd, 2018 article. The Chinese embassy is in the same compound as the Australian Security Intelligence Organization and Australia's Federal Police. And the Communist Party of China has infiltrated most of Australia's society, including universities, think tanks, scholarly associations, media, and religious organizations. We need to reclaim our lives from these panic mongers that are scaring us into submission, folks. The purpose of the COVID countermeasures is clear. It has nothing to do with protecting us from any deadly virus. The pandemic is an excuse being used to implement a whole bunch of sweeping societal changes that are going to bring us into one of those dystopian anti-human civilizations. And we won't be able to get out of it once we get in it. We won't have the power. Our only hope is to reject all of these new proposals that add in any way to the control structure that's being built. 
because we're the ones building what will become our own prison. More often than not, we're being deceived into just letting things slide by. But that's not a good excuse. At this point, the plan is clear enough for most rational people to grasp. And once grasped, we got to do something about it. We're building our own prison when we go along with plans that strengthen or expand surveillance, data collection, data sharing, and integration. We're building our prison when we go along with anything that limits or restricts our freedoms. So we got to stop going along saying it's just a mask or it's just a shot. If it makes others feel safe, it's worth it. I have nothing to hide, so I don't care about surveillance. We can't let these things stand, folks. We got to reject all of these arguments, become laser focused on the end goal, the objective, which is to stop the march of tyranny and reassert our God given rights and liberties. We're in one of those all or nothing situations, folks. There's no middle ground anymore. We either resign ourselves to give up everything, give up total control, give up anything that we're over in our lives, or We refuse to give up even the tiniest bit of freedom because, folks, they're intent. They are committed and on the path to incrementally take over everything from everyone. This came in Telegraph, an article on Telegraph. It was Juliet Samuel who wrote this, came out the 26th of November. The question of when exactly we plan to return to a normal level of risk appetite goes unmasked, let alone answered. We don't know much about the latest variant. There are some things we do know, however. We know that new variants are now a permanent fact of life. What we cannot accept, however, is that our basic freedoms are now just loans that can be called in at any time. Free societies do not require their citizens to get new vaccines every year in order to just live a normal life. They do not allow teachers to shut down schools at the drop of a hat. They do not suspend Christmas or close stores or ban drinking every time something unusual pops up in a laboratory somewhere. Last year, as the U.K. entered its third and most depressing lockdown over Christmas, politicians supporting the restrictions promised us that liberation was just around the corner. Let's not fall at the last hurdle, the U.K. leader said. The vaccine is here, they said. Just wait for the rollout and then enjoy your freedoms, they said. Well, the rollout of the vaccines happened. The virus is still out there. It's still evolving, and it's going to keep evolving forever. This is as good as all of this is going to get, folks. So we need to know when and how we're going to switch from COVID mode back to normal life. And with so many panic mongers resisting that change, you can leave this one where you first heard it, folks. It's not going to happen peacefully. We're going to have to we're going to have to get in a fight and do it. Now, I'm not talking about a literal fight. 
I'm talking about a stand-your-ground fight. I think we have made a mistake. I think we've underestimated the power of our federal government. I think we all have. I have never trust, trusted in many years. I've not trusted everything that comes out of Washington, D.C. I listen to it all. I mean, we have to. But then we have to develop the ability to discern what are facts and what are not. And that is the most difficult thing I struggle with in my life today. How do we figure out what the truth is? How do we find it? When we look at things, how do we know which is real and which is not? Discernment, discernment is the magic term in all of this. And let me give you a little piece of advice. If you're a Christian, when you pray and you ask God for something, try doing this for a while. Tell him the most important thing he can give to you is discernment, spiritual discernment, so that when you are confronted with these purposeful conundrums that are thrown out there, just to lock us down, keep us in fear. It's not about fear, folks. It's not about the lockdowns. It's about the power that comes along with the ability to make those things and other things happen and have total authority to do it. Pray and ask for discernment and then begin to actively every day use the discernment that you have. And there are a lot of things, flowery little phrases we could tell you. You know, if it smells, it's rotten. Um, If it quacks and waddles, it's a duck. All those kind of things, those are based on discernment. Most of you are probably... Old enough, you've been around long enough where you know exactly what I'm talking about. You get the feelings about one of your kids, what they're doing, what they're saying. Or you may hear something that they were taught or happened in a classroom at school. And a little bell goes off, a little alarm goes off. Listen to those things when that alarm goes off. Examine those things when that alarm goes off. And instead of responding every time immediately, take a little time to think it through. Take a little time to pray about it. Get to the source. Get to the bottom of it if you can. Sometimes we can't. They purposely hide as much of the foundation for all of these things as they possibly can because that's the biggest tool they have to use against people. Hide it. Keep them questioning. Keep them fearful. And so they'll listen to us and do exactly what we tell them to do. I know it's hard to hear this and talk about it, folks, but we've got to do it. Somebody's got to step up and say, it smells in here. That means somebody's laid an egg and it smells. So instead of just spraying air freshener to get rid of the smell, How about handling the process of somebody laying that egg that stinks? Going to the source of the issues and the problems. Folks, we're never going to get out of the way that they have militarized this virus against us. It is a real virus. It may not be a virus biologically, but it's a real problem. 
and it does make people sick, and it kills people. There's no question about that. But where the question is, is everything that comes after that. I mean everything. What it really is, how it's to be treated, how to keep it from spreading. And then the vaccines, that's a whole different story. But it's all connected. It's interconnected. And it's about one thing and one thing only. Power. Power. When a government gets total power over its people, the government will become despotic, despots and they'll be taking every advantage that they possibly can over the people for whatever their purposes are. It happens in every example of that in world history. Why would it not be the same thing now? We're going to leave that. We're going to jump off that. we got a couple of more things late in the show we'll talk about COVID. But we're going to take our first break. When we come back, Nancy Pelosi on the hot seat. And we've got an in-depth analysis of Nancy Pelosi's wrongdoing. I mean, very, very evil wrongdoing. Back in a minute. When your cable company keeps you on hold, you get angry. When you get angry, you go blow off steam. When you go blow off steam, accidents happen. When accidents happen, you get an eye patch. When you get an eye patch, people think you're tough. When people think you're tough, people want to see how tough. And when people want to see how tough, you wake up in a roadside ditch. Don't wake up in a roadside ditch. Get rid of cable and upgrade to DirecTV. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Hey, what do you want to da da da? I don't know. What do y'all think we should da da da? Well, what did we da yesterday? Hmm, yesterday. All the dolls feel like the same doll these days. I know. Like, is today Monday or Tuesday? Today is Thursday. <gasps> oh no, I forgot to call my mom on her birthday. Oh no! No! These days, nothing is normal and everything is weird. But you could still save big when you switch to Progressive. That won't change. Not to da or any da. Quote to da at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. New home ownership can be a real eye-opener, but it's the perfect time to look into Homeowner 101 from The Home Depot. Free live streaming workshops taught by expert associates. Now at homedepot.com slash workshops. You'll find indoor and outdoor workshops, even home systems workshops. Plus, you'll get the know-how you need to care for your biggest investment. Master the basics at Homeowner 101, only at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Register now at homedepot.com slash workshops. No way. Taco Bell's Toasted Cheddar Chalupa is back. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? They, they toasted, toasted six-month-old aged cheddar right onto the shell of a chalupa. That's genius, no delicious, no both, and now it comes in a box with a crunchy taco, cinnamon twist, and a medium drink? Whoa. Oh, sorry, this is, this is my stop. Oh, uh, cool. We're all thinking it. The $5 Toasted Cheddar Chalupa box is back. Only at Taco Bell. At limited participating U.S. locations for a limited time only. Contact local store for prices, hours, and participation, which vary. Tax extra drinks excludes freezes. In a world of weapons-grade stupidity, your defense is the truth. TNN, the Truth News Network. Regardless of what your personal feelings are for our House Speaker from California, Representative Nancy Pelosi, she is the third most powerful person in the U.S. government, coming only in line after the President, then the Vice President, then if something would happen with the VP, Nancy Pelosi would be um, 
the President of the United States. That's the line of succession. I know, I know. (laughs) You think what I do. That would be a nightmare. You know, there's always been this question that floats around Washington, D.C. How do so many members of Congress, they struggle to get their first election, to get their first office from being elected? They struggle financially. It costs a fortune to run for office at national levels especially. But isn't it interesting when they uh, they first get to D.C., they're griping about living in uh in a room, a spare room at some condo or on the on the sofa at some other person's place because they've got to have their home back in their district where they come from and it's too expensive to rent a place in Washington, D.C. We hear a few of those stories, but they never last. Why don't they last? Because things change. What changes? Money changes. How do you explain, really explain and understand When those people first go to D.C., there aren't a bunch of millionaires in that first class. But none of them leave office when their careers are over and they decide to either bow out or they get voted out. None of them leave broke. They all leave far more wealthy than they were when they got there. How is that? One of the big ways they do it is through the stock market. Now, let's wade right into this. And we're going to start with President Obama's ethics chief. This guy's named Walter Schaub, and he called House Speaker Pelosi's support of lawmakers trading stocks disgusting and the opposite of government ethics. This guy, Walter Schaub, torched the Speaker's backing of personal financial trading among lawmakers after Pelosi defended the practice yesterday. We're a free market economy, she said, responding to a question about members of Congress and their spouses being barred from personal trading. There's a bill on the floor to do just that. They should be able to participate in that, she said. What a disgusting comment, Schaub said in an email. This is the opposite of government ethics. Nobody kidnapped these members of Congress when they were private citizens, dragged them to Washington, forced them into Congress. The American people are sick of members of Congress buying and selling stock and creating the appearance of trading on insider information. They should absolutely be banned from trading stocks, Mr. Schaub said. Let them buy diversified mutual funds. Let them buy government bonds. But bar them from trading stocks, for crying out loud. He also called Pelosi out on Twitter over her comments tweeting that if the Speaker seeks government ethics and to drain the swamp as well as restore public trust in the integrity of Congress, she needed to close this floodgate. Madam Speaker, tear down this Wall Street participation. Pelosi's come under fire from critics over her personal stock trading moves. AOC recently slammed lawmakers in Congress who hold and trade individual stocks. It's absolutely ludicrous, she said, that members of Congress can hold and trade individual stock while they're in office. The access and influence we have should be exercised for the public interest, not our profit. It shouldn't be legal for us to trade individual stock with the info we have. I never thought I would say 
this next thing I'm going to say. But I absolutely agree with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez on that. I always have. Pelosi's deputy chief of staff, Drew Hamill, he defended his boss yesterday telling Business Insider the Stock Act exists to shine a bright light on trades by members of Congress and that sunlight is the best in disinfectant. As you can see from the required disclosures with which the speaker fully cooperates, these transactions are marked SP for spouse, Hamill said recently. The speaker has no prior knowledge or subsequent involvement in any transactions. So what is this all about? Well, Nancy Pelosi, we've talked to her about it before. Um, she wasn't wealthy when she went to Washington to the House of Representatives, nor was her husband, Paul. But they're filthy rich now. Nancy makes $170,000 a year plus office expense, probably close to $200,000. Paul is a commercial real estate developer. Of the two, just straight up head on, Paul makes a lot more money than Nancy, but it appears that a lot of Paul's money and a lot of the joint Nancy and Paul money is coming from things that the House Speaker knows before you and I know and opportunities that she has that you and I don't have. She's under fire. Yesterday, she scoffed at the idea of banning lawmakers and their spouses from owning stock in individual companies, despite the possibility there was conflict of interest that could occur. No, Pelosi said, we're a free market economy. They should be able to participate in that. This all came in a response to a question about a Business Insider investigative report this week on share, stock share ownerships by lawmakers. And after some controversies over stock purchases by a number of senators since the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. So in this expose, the Business Insider series found that 49 members of Congress and 182 senior-level congressional staffers had violated that so-called Stock Act, and it requires public disclosure by themselves and family members within 45 day of, days of sales or 45 days of purchases of individual stocks. The Stop Trading on Congressional Knowledge Act, it became law in 2012. It's supposed to prevent lawmakers and staffers from engaging in trading on information they get from their jobs as well as conflicts of interest. That's a long name for a law. The Stop Trading on Congressional Knowledge Act. Now again, it was passed in 2012. Guess what the name that everybody uses is for this Stock Act? It's the Pelosi Bill. Why? Because Nancy was busted taking advantage of insider information and trading on that and Paul Pelosi taking advantage of it on a large scale in his real estate business. It gets deeper. It gets deeper. 
Jesse Waters on Fox News. He's something of an investigator guy. You remember before he ever got his own show, um, he was one of those special reporters that was out on the streets trying to find things that maybe were unethical, illegal, but were hidden behind the scenes. That's what he was doing, and he's pretty good at it. He's got his own show. He's also on that afternoon show, The Five. But he did some investigative work into Nancy Pelosi's financial dealings. Listen to this breakdown. This is going to blow your mind. A Waters World investigation, Nancy Pelosi's policies are making it harder and harder for average Americans to accumulate wealth. Shackling us with taxes, destroying the dollar with reckless spending, but... The speaker, who makes in the low six figures, has somehow very easily become one of the richest members of Congress. What's her secret? It appears to be her husband, Paul. After they got married, Paul opened up a real estate and venture capital firm. And through his connections, he pushed Nancy into the political world, helping her get elected to Congress in 1987. The couple has timed the market perfectly over the years while Nancy's been a Washington insider real estate, stocks, the Pelosi's always know what the right investment is. Since getting married, they've acquired a mansion in Napa Valley, a vineyard home worth up to 25 million, real luxury, it's on 16 acres. Pelosi has a gorgeous waterfront condo in the exclusive K Street region in DC, now worth over two mil. She has a multi-million dollar red brick mansion in California's Pacific Heights. Paul owns at least two commercial properties in San Francisco combined worth up to $50 million. Since regaining the gavel in 2018, the Pelosi's wealth has skyrocketed. That year, her financial disclosure report revealed a net worth of over $114 million. Then, in 2019, Pelosi's assets totaled up to a whopping $271 million. And in 2020, those numbers went up even more, to as high as $315 million bucks. Quite a lot of crumbs. So where's the money coming from? 60 Minutes basically accused Paul Pelosi of insider trading. Madam Leader, um, I wanted to ask you why you and your husband back in March of 2008 um, accepted and participated in a very large IPO deal from Visa. At a time there was major uh, legislation affecting their credit card companies making its way through the, um, through the house. And did you consider that to be a conflict of interest? I I don't know what your point is of your question. Is there some point that you want to make with that? Well, I I guess what I'm asking is, do you think it's all right for uh, a speaker uh, to accept uh, a very preferential and favorable stock deal? Well, we didn't. You participated in the IPO. Well, I have many And at the time, you were Speaker of the House. You don't think it was a conflict of interest or had the appearance of a conflict of interest? It only has the appearance if you decide that you're going to have elaborate on a false premise. But it's not true, and that's that. I don't understand what part's not true. Yes, sir. That I would act upon an investment. In 2007, Visa worried the new Democrat Congress would target their swipe fees, costing them billions. So they hired a team of lobbyists who descended on Pelosi. Visa's CEO personally met with her. She got donations from him. One of Nancy's advisors left and became a Visa lobbyist himself. The old inside-outside game. Now get this. Suddenly, Paul Pelosi got a phone call from his broker. He was in luck. 
Paul was offered a pre-screened invite to get in early on Visa's $18 billion IPO. Did Nancy and her husband hesitate? No. They bought between $1 million and $5 million worth of Visa stock. But it gets better. While Pelosi was Speaker, bills that would have hurt Visa's stock price were blocked in the House. Visa's shares going up over 200% during the time, making the Pelosi's a fortune on paper. Nancy Pelosi and her husband have a knack for taking advantage of market timing. In March, Paul Pelosi exercised $2 million worth of Microsoft options just two weeks before the tech giant got a $22 billion contract to equip the U.S. Army with high-tech headsets. In January, the Pelosi's got a million dollars worth of Tesla stock right before Joe Biden announced electric car incentives. In June, the Pelosi family cashed in big time just before Congress was set to pounce on big tech. Mr. Pelosi exercised options on Google's parent company, Alphabet, making an easy 5.3 mil. Now, to be fair, the Pelosi's have never been indicted for insider trading, but her marriage, investments, and access, combined with extremely fortunate timing, have created a lot of suspicions. All we're doing is following the money, and there sure is a lot of it. Joining me now for more on this, president of the Government Accountability Institute and the Drill Down podcast host, Peter Schweitzer. All right, we put it together for you there, Peter. What is your reaction? You know better than anybody how this whole thing works. Yeah, no, I, I think you're dead on. Look, the bottom line, Jesse, is we don't mind if people make money with investments. The question is, is it wedded to your political power? And in the case of the Pelosi's, they not only got that Visa IPO stock, they've participated in at least 10 IPO uh, stocks. And these are unusual. These basically go to company founders and insiders. The fact that a politician's family is allowed to participate in an investment that when it goes public, generally doubles in value often is is a real indicator that there's a problem. I'll add one other thing, Jesse. Those uh, office buildings you mentioned, they own an office building on Belden Street in San Francisco. Nancy Pelosi steered $200 million in federal money to build the Third Avenue light railway system in San Francisco. Mm. Guess where one of the stops of that light railway system actually stops? Within two blocks of their office building. That matters because there's something called the transit premium. If your building is within two blocks of a subway or railway stop, it effectively doubles the value of it. Oh. And that's precisely what happened to the Pelosi's real estate. That's very interesting. Also interesting, they've been offered 10 IPO buy-ins. So it's just randomly that these companies give the Pelosi family early access to IPOs. Unbelievably fortunate people, Nancy and Paul. All right, Peter, yeah. thank you for following the money with us. And you know that is just the tip of that iceberg. Let me give you a little personal information about the Pelosi's. Um, not long ago, I made a trip with um, my brother to Modesto, California, friend of ours there was in bad medical help, and we went out to see him. We fly into Sacramento, which is about 60 miles north of Modesto. And um, Sacramento is the capital of California. That's where a lot of big stuff is located, obviously. 
a capital, state capital, and it happens to be California. So you know there's a bunch of stuff there. Sacramento is a great city. Nevertheless, the basketball team, the NBA team, was looking for a new facility, a place to have a new facility. And so they started scouting around very quietly through some people that, you know, whenever a professional sports team is looking for a big opportunity to move or expand or whatever, they're going to keep it quiet because they don't want all the nut jobs coming out trying to sell them something. So somehow Nancy Pelosi got the word about that. And somehow she opened a door for a meeting between Paul Pelosi and the group that was putting this whole thing together in conjunction with the state of California government headquartered in Sacramento and the state of California. When you drive from the airport in Modesto into Sacramento, Sacramento's way out, and the way that the Central Valley is set up in California, there's a lot of agricultural work there. And so on the interstate, I-5, you uh, you go through all kinds of country. It's just plain open stuff. You'll, you'll see some... Uh, some crops out in the field and that, but there's no big buildings. And you get 20 miles from Sacramento, normally a big city like that, you start seeing some residential development, shopping centers, things like that, that grow out from major cities. You don't see any of that. And then all of a sudden you see this massive real estate operation on both sides of the road for as far as you can see. Sitting out in the middle of a field is the brand new NBA stadium. Then you leave that going towards downtown and there's another gap of an area that's kind of like I told you illustrating going into Sacramento. Agricultural land, not a lot of real estate development and then all of a sudden the big city starts. Well, it just so happened, Paul happened to know the group that owned all that land out there south of Sacramento. And he decided to put a deal together to buy all of that land and to create a big real estate development. And oh, by the way, guess who's right smack dab in the middle of it? The NBA team. There is no telling how often that kind of stuff happens. And that is the way that all of these people that serve in Congress, I say all, uh, I'm not going to point a finger at anybody. I'm just not going to do it because I don't know all the facts, but I'm going to say this. We do know that these people go up there. They're very seldom wealthy unless they've been doing business successfully in some way or they inherited a bunch of money when they go, but they always come out well-greased financially. This has got to stop. This is one of those things that's got to stop. Folks, I'm going to, t- I'm going to just say this. There needs to be a rule. The people need to demand it, a rule. If you're in Congress, period, you cannot trade stock. You can't buy it. You can't sell it, period. Bonds, anything. All your investments, they must go in a trust and somebody else needs to be making all the trades for you and you have no knowledge of, period. And even that trust can't buy stock, sell stock when you're in office. It's got to happen. It's got to stop. Real truth, real news. 
TNN, the Truth News Network. Dear Daddy, dear Mom, I love you. I miss you. Every year, Snowball Express honors the children of fallen soldiers. Hi, everybody. I'm Tony Orlando. Join me in proudly supporting Snowball Express, a nonprofit that creates opportunities to help heal the children of our fallen heroes. We can never repay the sacrifice our soldiers have made, but we can honor them by giving back to their children. Donate now at SnowballExpress.org. It's movie season. We count down your favorite movie classics, including When Harry Met the Bathroom, Close Encounters of the Third Bathroom, A River Runs Through the Bathroom. For someone suffering with sucrose intolerance, a favorite movie often ends in the bathroom. If you're experiencing chronic diarrhea, gas, stomach pain, and bloating, remember, sucrose intolerance, or CSID, can be diagnosed by your doctor with the aid of a sucrose breath test. Visit sucroseintolerance.com. Yes, I know. I heard through the radio. I heard it. You thought this at the end of that last story, and I said what I said. We're not going to be able to change those people. They're going to do what they want to do. We have no power. We have no authority. They're going to do what they're going to do. We're just going to have to deal with it. That that thought process will lead to the destruction of what we have as a nation, what's still left, folks. We do have the power. And the power happens by affecting, impacting who we elect. How do you do that? Well, every two years, you live in a congressional district. Somebody's running for election or re-election in your congressional district. Have a conversation with that person that's already in the office. Ask them what their position is on insider trading and the stock trading ability by members of Congress while they're serving. And make sure they know you expect that to stop happening. And it's got to, in your opinion, because it opens a door for corruption. And think about the uh, the other ancillary things that happen, folks, when this kind of insider information is passed around. When those members of Congress take advantage of those opportunities, they buy the stock, they sell the stock, they enroll in a in in some kind of position or whatever in a corporation, they're then obligated. The quid pro quo process kicks into high gear. Don't you think for a second that somebody that opened the door for Nancy and Paul Pelosi to make tens of millions of dollars is not going to at some time remind Nancy and Paul, you remember when I opened that door for you and you made this massive amount of money? I need you to do this for me. Don't think that doesn't happen. My congressman here, Mike Johnson, he's on this show periodically. I've asked him point blank on more than one occasion what he thinks about it, and he agrees with me. He doesn't do it. But the fact is, the horror of this whole thing is, is that right now he can do it. The Pelosi's can. Every member of Congress can do it. Who polices them? Who handles their rules 
in the House of Representatives in the Senate. They do. That's the problem. You're never going to get a member of Congress to not accept the pay raise or vote for one that's on the docket. They just don't. It's, it, they're not going to do it. They're going to take care of themselves. And sadly, in many cases, they're taking care of themselves ahead of taking care of those of us that they represent out in the hitherlands of the United States of America. Meanwhile, while we were asleep, there is some immigration stuff, some immigration crap going on. Day before yesterday, NPR reported that two previously deported illegal aliens, one named Claudio Rojas, he's from Argentina, and Jean Montreville of Haiti have both since been brought back to the U.S. by the Biden administration after they claimed that ICE retaliated against them for their open borders advocacy. So Rojas, before he was deported in 2019, lived as an illegal alien for 19 years, while Montreville was deported in 2018 following more than a decade being here in the U.S. illegally. Attorneys for these two are now demanding that both be given amnesty as reparations for being deported from the U.S. during the Trump administration. Claudio Rojas was deported to Argentina at exactly the same time that a film about his activism for undocumented undocumented immigrants was premiering in theaters. Jean Montreville is an immigrant rights advocate in New York. He was deported, too, in 2018 back to Haiti. Montreville, too, was allowed back into the U.S. under this administration. He landed at JFK in New York in October. ICE has denied retaliating against Montreville and Rojas and did not respond for comments specifically on their return to the U.S. So under this Department of Homeland Security, immigration authorities have been told explicitly not to take any action against any activist for exercising their freedom of speech. Here's what DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas said about that guidance when it was first announced in September. Indeed, Biden's Department of Homeland Security is ensuring that illegal aliens like Rojas and Montreville are not deported. He issued guidelines that ban ICE from arresting illegals so long as they are at protected areas. What are those protected areas? They include protests, rehab facilities, homeless shelters, schools, parks, places of worship, hospitals, rallies, and parades. In other words, you got to find out who they are and you got to wait till they're coming out of their house <laughs> before you can arrest them. This, this is just more insane. It just, when you think it can't get worse, it gets worse. So the pro-migration activists, they're out in full gear and they are ramping up their race theme hate PR campaign against anybody that is a critic of federal migration policy, even though many recent polls show the critics are mainstream multiracial and they're multiplying in number. 
The argument for curbing illegal immigration is just a white nationalist argument that America should be just for white people and everybody else is somehow subpar and doesn't belong. That was said by Heidi Byrich, who named her activist group the Global Project Against Hate and Extremism. The Republican Party, they say the GOP has benefited enormously from establishment media outlet actively normalizing anti-immigrant hysteria. That's from an op-ed published in the Los Angeles Times. This movement has very sinister origins, racist, eugenicist beliefs that have shaped the ideology. That's a claim from Lola Ibrahim, the director of the Migrant, Immigrant, and Refugee Rights Alliance. She spoke at an online meeting of progressives seeking to minimize media coverage of Americans' view about immigration. In other words, everybody that thinks the law should be abided by, including federal immigration law, and you're angry if our government doesn't enforce them, which they're not now under this administration, they don't want anybody to know that you really want anybody in the government to support the law, so don't talk about it. The point is to intimidate people, they say, and prevent them from articulating these mainstream policy views. If they can shut us up, they have a good chance of preventing these views from being articulated by politicians and writers, and if so, they wouldn't have political effect because even if people agree, if no one's talking about it, no politicians are running on these policies, then people's opinions and views can't translate into policy. It's somewhat successful, too, but not nearly as much as they want. Obviously, concerns about excessive immigration or breaking out of that box that these groups would like to confine them to. It's not just former President Trump. Trump was more a manifestation of that happening rather than the cause of it. Multiple posts show the public is opposed to the federal government's economic policy of cheap labor migration. That cuts Americans' wages, raises housing costs, diverts politicians from national problems of productivity, alienation, health, education, research, and prosperity. Example, the left-wing Equus Research Group reported December 13th that 51% of Latinos want to roll back asylum migration. 45% want to reduce legal immigration. Brand new polls paint a very different picture of Hispanic voters than what's often peddled in the mainstream media. 69% of Latinos support Trump's tax cuts. 55% support more spending on border security. 51% support limiting refugees and limiting asylum. 49% support reducing illegal immigration, period. So what's the big deal about this? What do we tell you here? Every time you look at something, you hear about something, you see something, and you can't quite figure out what's going on, the number one place to look is the money. Follow the money. What are you talking about, Dan? There's a lot of money. Billions, hundreds of billions of dollars in illegal immigrants in the United States. Folks, our agriculture community 
especially out west in the west third of the nation where most of the nation's farming heartland is located. Labor is a big deal. You know what it costs to own a business and have employees in the state of California and abiding by the laws of the state and the nation, how expensive it is? I mean, when you pay somebody $10 an hour out there, which nobody can do, by the way, well, let's say $20 an hour, you can bet with everything rolled in that you're obligated to do. As an employee, you got to do withholding. You're going to withhold Medicare and uh, Social Security, their percentage out of it, I think it's 7.65% total. Half of that is Medicare, half of it's Social Security. But then you have unemployment insurance that's mandatory. That $20 an hour turns into almost $40 an hour to have those employees. So what do you do? we got a flood of illegals coming across the southern border. They're illegals, so they don't have Social Security numbers. Uh, they're not on... They're not on the, 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 the picture screen of the political system in California and the United States, so you can pay them less. And in many cases, they work harder. And they have that fear factor of being exposed that weighs into these greedy employers' minds, and they'll play that card all the time. There are tens of billions of dollars, folks, that are involved in this every year. That's why there's such a push to make it okay. (laughs) It's okay to have these migrant workers coming into the United States. You hear people say it all the time. That's the backbone of our agriculture. Our food industry would go to pot if we didn't have these people coming in. They'll do the work that nobody else will. Legal immigrants in the same industry will tell you right now they don't want these people coming in because they'll take the jobs from people who are already citizens in many cases, but others that are here legally with green cards, doing it the right way, the legal way, within the law. These illegals, they don't care. They're looking for a buck. And what they are paid in cash basically out there often far exceeds a big, big jump in money from what they were getting paid where they came from. If you wonder what's going on, folks, ever follow the money. Follow the money. What about Joe's Bill Back Better bill? House already passed it. It's been over at the Senate. The Senate's been talking about it behind closed doors. There's been negotiations, all kind of stuff going on. And the linchpin in the whole thing is Senator Joe Manchin from West Virginia. There's new news out today about that bill. It's not, in my purview, Bill Back Better. It's Bill Back Stupid. Joe Manchin on the hot seat. And there are some news coming out of D.C. about all this it isn't looking really good for Joe Biden. That's next. Hello. Hello, sir. I hear you having problems putting together your new kitchen unit. Oh, yeah. Uh, the instructions say that. What now? The instruction manual. It makes absolute... Stop reading that. 
Well, what would you suggest I use? I suggest you use the fact you're a man. Huh? Guys who got pride never relied on no guide, sucker. I'll give you some step-by-step instructions. <laughs> Buy Snickers, remove wrapper, bite chocolate, and get some nuts. Go to GetSomeNuts.tv for more Snickers man coaching. Des Moines HelpWanted.com salutes the employee of the month. The one employee you can't live without. The others, let's just call them Dave. Dave, we need to talk about your sick days. What seems to be the problem, Mr. Employee of the Month? Last week you were out all five days. I was sick. Thanks for checking in. You posted on social media that you were at a comedy club on Monday. Laughter is the best medicine. An outdoor barbecue on Tuesday. Feed a cold, starve a fever, or whichever one needs to be fed. That's the one I had. Okay, Wednesday you took a selfie, hashtag faking sick. That was supposed to say freaking sick. Thursday you were at an amusement park. Somebody stole my phone. They stole your phone and uploaded photos of you at an amusement park. Yes, fake news. Friday, you tailgated in the employee parking lot. Friday's basically the weekend. Everyone knows that. If you don't mind hiring Dave's, go to the huge national job boards. That's probably what you'll get. But if you want more employees of the month, go where local job seekers find good local jobs. We don't discriminate against people named Dave. Dave is a common name, fun to say, and so we're using it as a catch-all for lackluster employees everywhere. Please don't write us to tell us you were insulted by the sad. That would be a real Dave move, Dave. Should we pick him up? He has Bud Light. He has an axe. But he has Bud Light. And an axe. I'm sure there's a reason for it. Hey, buddy. What's with the axe? It's a bottle opener. Hop in. Refreshingly smooth Bud Light. Always worth it. Look, he has Bud Light. And a chainsaw. CBS, NBC, ABC, MSNBC, CNN. An alphabet soup of lies, myths, and disinformation. For real nutrition, you need a full plate of truth. TNN, the Truth News Network. The biggest bill ever considered in the United States Congress regarding dollars and cents, the Build Back Better Act, it's, um, it's now on life support. News is out now that Democrats are not even going to try to get it passed this year. They're approaching their recess coming up, and there's still a bunch of uncertainty in D.C. about it. Talks between Joe Biden and Joe Manchin broke down. And so what what happened? I mean, he's a Democrat. He's the only Democrat senator in West Virginia in fact, West Virginia has pretty much become a very conservative state over the, the recent time. He's the only Democrat in power and government in the state. Joe Manchin is. So what's the problem he's having with the Build Back Better? He has a problem with the child tax credit extension. What's that all about? Well, you remember the American Rescue Plan. That was what uh, the Biden administration, the big one, the first one they passed. It had a $3,600 credit for young children, a $3,000 credit for children ages 6 to 17, was in that plan. And the Build Back Better plan, and it extends that same child credit thing through 2022. And that's when it expires, but everybody knows no government program has ever ended. A spending program, once it's put in, it may be in the initial legislation, oh, this is only going to be for one year or two years but it ends up with just a wave of, oh, we're just going to extend that the next year, and it just kind of very quietly gets done. The big stickler there for Joe Manchin was this bill would not have included a work 
requirement. And what does that mean? No, they were going to pay you to have kids, $3,600 credit for young children, $3,000 for children age 6 to 17 included, and you just got the check. You didn't have to go to work. You didn't have to be working. It's just an extra bunch of money that you get from Uncle Sam. Manchin supports the work requirement. Biden and House Democrats oppose it. So according to one news anchor, the conversation between Democrats and the president, Joe Manchin, and Republicans have broken down. If it ever comes back up, it's going to be next year. So without an extension of this child tax credit, the benefit would go back to the 2000 credit included in the 2017 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. Although the Build Back Better Act would only extend the child tax credit through 2022, Democrats have called for it to be made permanent. You know that. Manchin also is worried about the inflation that's all through this bill following the release of data that shows the price tag increases have hit a 39-year high for pretty much everything. After Manchin described the numbers as alarming, Biden expressed some pessimism that he could convince Manchin to support it. I don't know the answer to that, Biden said when he was asked about Joe Manchin supporting it. I'm going to be talking to him at the beginning of the week. He and and Manchin got together on Monday. They were unable to reach an agreement. Some Democrats had expressed frustration with Manchin's ongoing negotiations, arguing that he should just vote for the bill. I mean, what have I said here for two years now? The mantra, the underlining mantra, that everything, every policy that comes out of the Democrat Party is, we'll talk to you for a while, but eventually, when you don't come over to our side and agree with us, we're just going to go straight to this. Y'all just shut up, sit down, do what we tell you to do. Majority Whip Dick Durbin in the Senate said this, I think it's appropriate for him to finally come to a conclusion as to what he will accept. He's talking about Joe Manchin. Looking ahead at the holiday, Durbin said, let's go home to our families. Let's get our job done. So now Democrats are turning their attention to election law changes. Have you paid attention to this? It's a big thing. It's a really big thing. This voter law, it's not a law, but they want it to become a law that was initiated in the House. And now Democrats have switched their attention to that. What are they doing now? They're pushing to nuke the nuclear option, to put it in effect, to change the filibuster in the Senate and break this stalemate on that voting rights legislation. Now, there have been a flurry of talks about this one, including dedicating a closed-door caucus lunch to the issue of this bill despite a public focus on passing that social spending bill, the other big one, the Build Back Better. A group of Democrats led by Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer met with Joe Manchin Tuesday as part of discussions that have been ongoing. Manchin is pushing for rules changes to be bipartisan 
and the whole talks about any rule changes with Republicans who are unlikely to support any kind of reform necessary to get voting legislation passed. It would require doing away with the filibuster. The filibuster means that a piece of legislation in the Senate, it's got to be brought to the floor only with the approval of 60, at least 60 senators. The filibuster, it's a Senate rule that was passed decades ago to protect the minority in the U.S. Senate from just being steamrolled by whoever's in the majority party for any piece of legislation. And if the filibuster is invoked, what that means is that that bill can be passed with just a simple majority vote. So there's a lot of frustration within the Democrat caucus. Senator Raphael Warnock, a Democrat from Georgia, he was elected the last time out. He spoke out during the Democratic lunch, separately on the Senate floor too, about the need to pass voting rights legislation before they take up the Build Back Better legislation, and that it would be irresponsible for Democrats not to act. He said, I'm struck by the speed with which we decided to change the rules when it came to the economy. But this has dragged on for months. Our democracy is clearly in peril. Warnock said that he's spoken to Democrats, including Manchin, over the weekend, but the Democrats have to decide, first of all, it's a moral question, but how do you tell the people as they did in January and in November to stand up and use their power and their voice if we don't use ours? There is a tremendous amount of pressure coming from the left and the far-left activists. What's in this bill? All of the stuff that you expected. Mail-in voting would be permanent. Uh, they're doing away with the number of poll watchers. All of the, the requirements for obtaining mail-in balloting, time that you can vote, all those kind of things are going to be changed and changed permanently. But the big one is, if this bill is passed and signed into law, it takes the entire election system out of the hands of the 50 individual states that control constitutionally, they control all elections within their own state, even the federal elections. Democrats want to bring that all to Washington, D.C., and they do it. They're saying we can do a better job. You and I both know that is an impossibility. The federal government, there is nothing that it does better than the same thing would be, and in many cases has been done, in the private sector. Anything being done outside of Washington, D.C. will run more efficiently, be less expensive, and will run better. There's a huge amount of pressure on the Democrats to get this thing passed, and I think you know why. They're looking for ways to be able to manipulate election results, even if the voting goes another way. If you've got control of reporting the numbers, counting the the ballots and reporting the numbers, you can change the outcome of any election you choose to change. And that's what they're after. So what's President Biden been up to? He was in Kentucky. He was talking about the horrors down there. He went down there and it was really embarrassing when he first got there and there was a crowd of people and you started hearing the chants from the crowd 
about Let's Go Brandon, (laughs) which was very derogatory. You know he heard it, and I'm sure it impacted him. But nevertheless, he went about making some promises to those people, trying to relate to those people. And when, when I looked at some of the video that came out of those meetings where he spoke to some of the people in Kentucky, it just seemed hollow to me. It just seemed like there wasn't really any evidence of real care or concern. I'm, and I'm just, I'm just drawing an opinion from what I saw and heard. He, as he always does, finds ways to turn conversations and topics of conversations around and put it all in his perspective, trying to show everybody that he really has empathy, that he can really relate to it. If I've heard him tell the story of the car accident that killed his first wife and their daughter, if I've heard it once, I've heard it 50 times. He always relates everything in his life, even some of the things in his life that aren't real, didn't happen. He tries to make himself more appropriate with those who he's talking to. And it was sad, but I saw a lot of that yesterday. He did do one thing, though. He guaranteed those people in Kentucky that are their lives are just destroyed. Um, he told them the federal government would pay 100% for all of everything to do with handling what's going on now, taking care of people, giving them temporary assistance, whatever they need for at least 30 days. He said the federal government would do it 100%. It'll be interesting to see what we hear about how that plays out through the next few months. Because this federal government, any federal government, has never acted on anything that quickly. And as many people have said, these people lost everything. I mean, their houses are gone. Their jobs are gone. There's no place for them to go. They don't have anything. It was all destroyed in this. It is literally starting a life over and literally doing that from scratch. Our prayers go out to all of those people. It is unimaginable to me. Now, I've, I've lived through some storms. I grew up in South Louisiana. We went through hurricanes, and where I live was just less than 40 miles from the Gulf of Mexico. Franklin, the last place I live, was 15 miles from the Gulf of Mexico, and those hurricanes come through there. It makes a dramatic difference. And sustained winds at 140, 50, 160 miles an hour can do a lot of damage. Just think about the speed multiplied of that wind about four or five times in a very concentrated cone. That's a tornado, and it just obliterates every place it goes and touches. They're in our prayers, and I encourage you to pray for them. This shouldn't be a political thing. This should be an American thing where we all pull together to take care of those that have been impacted. Violence and criminality on our streets is just getting expanded every day. It's being coordinated now. There are groups that are putting these... um, thefts together where they run in, a big crowd runs into these high-dollar stores and they're all masked up, covered up, and they come in with sledgehammers and guns and they break stuff 
and they steal everything very quickly and get out of there. That's even being coordinated. It's like it's organized crime, organized criminality. In cities across the nation, especially the bigger cities, it's happening every day. Nobody's exempt. I mean, they're going into the highest dollar stores where many of us, we aren't ever even allowed to go in unless we know somebody and we're considered to be extremely wealthy. And that authorizes us to go in those stores. They're just going in and tearing everything up, stealing amazing amounts of very expensive jewelry and other products. But that's just um, part of the crime problem that's going on. Criminality is rampant, and law enforcement, in large part from coast to coast, principally in the larger cities, um, in states that are principally governed by Democrats, in cities that are generally governed by Democrats, where law enforcement, their hands are pretty much tied compared to where they were two or three years ago in enforcing laws. And what happens then if people aren't being held accountable for their acts, they just get they get out there and do more of the same type of acts and even ramp it up. A teenager in a Chicago suburb who pled guilty to fatally stabbing a 15-year-old. Now, this is a teenager. I get it. He stabbed a 15-year-old, and this teen was sentenced to three years of probation and to complete community service hours. It wasn't an accidental thing, folks. A gun didn't go off. He stabbed a guy. The kid that got stabbed said this, his mother, when the defendant stabbed my son, he stabbed the heart of my family, the mother said. The unidentified defendant pleaded guilty to second-degree murder after 15-year-old Elias Valdez was stabbed and died in August of 2020 in a suburb of Chicago, Glenview. It's about 20 miles from downtown. The defendant obviously was charged as a juvenile. In addition to probation completing 100 community hours of service, a Cook County judge ordered the 17-year-old high school senior and his parents to participate in counseling. That was all a drug deal. It unfolded when Valdez tried to buy marijuana from the defendant, but tried to take the drugs without paying for them. The defendant chased Valdez, ending with the two fighting. The defendant stabbed him with a utility tool. He died at the hospital. This is just one example. We This goes on and on and on and on, folks. There are stories like this every day now. People are getting, lawbreakers are getting more and more violent, taking more egregious advantage of people in companies, and it's in large part because those in law enforcement have their hands tied. I mean, they've got to think twice, two or three times about everything they do to try to protect people from lawbreakers and to prosecute and grab and and hold people accountable for their lawlessness. Our nation is built on the rule of law. The U.S. Constitution lays the framework. If we, if any nation, doesn't enforce the laws that it has, that have been passed by the representatives of the people, if we do not hold lawbreakers accountable, there will be no law. Nobody will pay attention to laws. 
Nobody will trust those in law enforcement. And folks, we're going down that slippery slope, and I think we're a lot closer to the eventuality that law enforcement won't even work anymore. We're better than that? Yeah, we are if we act better than that. None of this just happens. It has to be structured. It has to be planned. It has to have people buy in on all of it, law enforcement in total, and then the individual laws. And when the President of the United States sits in the White House and he just winks and greenlights the continual criminal activity of hundreds of thousands of illegals storming across our southern border, violating constitutional laws, immigration laws passed by our United States Congress and just goes where they want, does what they want, and they're not held accountable, they're not enforcing the rule of law, what kind of message does that send to Americans? What kind of message does that send to others around the world? Do you know right now, elsewhere in the, in the world, and I don't know, I haven't been, I, I haven't been to many nations, been to a few, I've interacted mostly on business, and I've interacted with people there Four years ago, I spent time in uh, Switzerland, went into Germany, Austria, met with business leaders there. At that particular time, they had some fundamental respect for the United States. They uh, were jealous about all of our freedoms and our liberties and pretty much everything from top to bottom. Much of that has been taken away. We talked about that at the beginning of the store, this quest for power by government to control everything. They live in that. Even though they're a really democratic nation in part, they all have lived through totalitarianism at some degree in Europe. They've either watched it happen in their neighboring nations. And folks over there, the way the layout geography is laid out, Going country to country in Europe is like going state to state in the United States. So they're close to a lot of the really bad stuff that happened. Their parents, their grandparents lived through World War II. They lived through the horrible run through Europe by Adolf Hitler and his henchmen. They looked not far to their east and watched what happened when the Berlin Wall was coming down. They knew all about it before it came down. They lived in all of that. They knew what the oppressiveness was. So they looked at us at that particular point like we were so amazingly benefited by that one thing, real freedom that they never saw. And they have it to a large part, but not like we have it here in the United States. And they were jealous of that. That's not happening anymore, folks. They look at us over here as a broken, fractured, former shadow of our former selves, nothing of the good stuff that we had that our forefathers worked for, people bled and died for again and again. We went overseas to protect it, to keep it from being taken away from us. That's all slipping away. And when I talk to any of those people now, I'm always asked, if we ever get into a discussion about government or life in the U.S., I'm always asked, how can Americans let this happen? How can people that have lived in this for their entire lives 
not understand looking around the world and the way everybody else has it. How could you let it happen? And they just shake their heads. And there are many of us, I I hear stories. My dad was in the Navy. He fought in World War II. My brother was in the Navy, but he never fought. It was during the Vietnam crisis, but he was on a ship. He was never in Vietnam to fight. But people were willing to do that. They volunteered to do that. That was from love of country. That was from really understanding and appreciating what we have. It was worth giving up their lives for the freedom that we now just take for granted. And many of us are saying, take it away. We don't care. I just don't know who's standing in the gap. I think everybody that knows me and knows this show and knows what we do at this website, they understand that we're in and we're all in. And I know that everybody listening right now, I would assume is all in as well, but we're in the minority it seems. And that's scary to think that we could possibly face a situation where we lose the freedoms and liberties that we have just because of our government, people up there that we elected to up go up there and represent us and everything, they're just taking advantage of it for personal gain or whatever, dismissing what they promised to all of us before they were elected and just doing what is good for their cause, which is not our cause. People are awakening and people are wondering what to do. It starts with one, folks. It starts with one. It starts with you. It starts with me. And raising our voices, sharing our thoughts and opinions and our concerns with other people in our lives, even if they may disagree with us. Folks, there's nothing wrong with somebody disagreeing with you or you disagreeing with somebody else. In fact, it's a good thing when that happens and you open up a conversation to have a real discussion about things with others and let them do the same thing with you. There are some people that are so tied to their perspectives and what they say, and they've invented this term to use that isn't a real thing. I have my truth and you have yours. Truth doesn't have different versions. Truth on anything is either pure and truthful or it's not true. Learning to have conversations, being inquisitive, learning to listen, Those are things that we have to instill in our own selves and teach our kids how to do it. That's how all of this mandate stuff has happened, how it's come into being the last two years because the American people have led it. We've let our government take control of so many parts of our lives that we always took for granted for most of our entire lives. Most of us did. I did. I never thought anything about it. And sure, there are laws that they control all of that to protect us. Our forefathers were smart enough to write 10 different amendments and give those to the federal government. And those 10 amendments make it very clear the things that they have no authority over. We have, the people have total authority over that, like freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, 
freedom religion. Those are ours, but yet we're like sheeple. If they want it, here it is. Y'all of the government, you know better. You're in power. You take it and do something with it. And they are. Biden's vaccine mandates have just polarized this nation and gripped the very fiber of what we are and what we are able to do. Over a hundred Republican lawmakers led by a congressman from Pennsylvania, Fred Keller, and also Daryl Issa from California. They reached out to Nancy Pelosi. Of course, she's Speaker of the House. She has control of everything. They are urging her to consider some legislation, which already passed over in the Senate, to cancel Joe Biden's vaccine mandates. The letter says this in part, we write to urge the immediate consideration of Senate Joint Resolution 29 in the House of Representatives before the chamber recesses for the holidays. They noted the resolution provides for congressional disapproval of the OSHA emergency temporary standard requiring all private sector employees with 100 or more employees to adopt a mandatory COVID vaccination policy or require employees who choose not to get vaxxed to undergo weekly testing and wear a mask when they're at work. They also noted in their letter, OSHA rule is currently paused due to ongoing litigation. All 212 members of the House GOP have co-sponsored a Congressional Review Act resolution to nullify this vaccine mandate. Congressman Fred Keller pinned that. With that, lawmakers urged Pelosi to immediately consider a resolution in the House. Only two Democrats in the Senate, Senators Joe Manchin and John Tester, voted with Republicans to nullify the Biden mandate. What did I say earlier? People, your eyes got to begin to be open. People have to be open to listening and hearing. And it's not going to happen gradually, folks. We didn't gain our emotional and mental status in just a day or two or a week or two or a month or two. It's been years. It takes years of living where we live, how we live, what we live doing, and who we do it with creates our thought processes and our perspectives on everything. It's virtually impossible for somebody to just basically drop a hand grenade in your life and turn everything around overnight and you just be, oh, okay, I'll go along. And that's good and bad. It's when good things happen that way and it's also when bad things happen that way. There's so many things that are established and have been for so long. Things like just the way you think, the way you drive a car, how you'd move around in your life around town every day. Those all develop And they become part of our psyche that we just take for granted. And all of a sudden, we're seeing our politicians, our leaders walking into our lives and saying, no, wait a minute. We're not going to do this anymore. you got to stop that. No legal basis for telling us that. They can say whatever they want. But they have no legal basis to enforce a lot of it. But what do we do? We just lay down and say, go ahead. We'll abide by what you tell us. This economy that uh, we're living in now 
as we watch it, I don't know about you, but I'm petrified with concern about where this is going to go over the next year. The top headline numbers, they tell us that the U.S. economic recovery is humming along, but underneath that, folks, the facts don't say the same thing. On the surface, jobs and consumer spending, our government gross domestic product, they're going up. But once you start to scratch underneath the surface, what are you finding? A bunch of problems that are threatening every American, every institution, every company in our nation. Market experts are combing through a series of trends and data to spotlight the core issues that might derail Biden's Build Back Better agenda permanently. And it might slow down our post-COVID recovery. I got to be honest with you. I'm still not convinced we're in a recovery. In November, the U.S. economy added 210,000 jobs. That's far short of what the market forecasted, 550,000. And that happened while the unemployment rate fell to a better-than-expected reading of just 4.2%. So the experts are now looking at the largest context of the jobs market. Average hourly earnings rose 4.8% over the previous year, climbing to $31.03 an hour. But real wage growth has been eliminated almost across the board because of inflation. Job openings surged to nearly an all-time high of 11 million, 11 million open jobs. Job quits ramped up 4.2 million last month. People just quit work. And the labor force participation rate, that's the participant percentages of people that are eligible to work and they get into the labor force. That participation rate is at a five-decade low. Fewer people, as a percentage of, are working than ever before. There are still, even with the jobs going up, that 210,000, there's between four and six million fewer jobs than before the pandemic. Moreover, a wide range of surveys show that employers are having trouble finding workers for these jobs. Jobless benefits discouraging many of these workers. So the Bureau of Labor Statistics estimates that more than 4 million Americans are underemployed. This is a measurement. It puts people in the labor forces underemployed if they're working less than full time or they're employed in positions that don't utilize their skills. Unit labor cost advanced 9.6%. Non-farm productivity slumped 5.2% during the same time. Our economy is, it's on life support right now. Who would have thought this could ever happen to us? This is not the kind of stuff that we're accustomed to talking about here, folks. It's just not. But it's here. And in the middle of all of this, here's our president. Listen to this 30 seconds of real intellectual educated input for us. I'm worried about families and elderly grandparents and what their lives are at stake. Every one, every one, every one is a little harder. 
So, you know, so mom can, grandmom can walk out without having, out of her porch without worrying about falling, can take care of herself, can be left alone. They're going to keep working to pay the bills. Look, my plan is simple. We're going to make sure we take care of mom. We're going to take care of the child. Oh, my gosh. That's a leader of the free world, folks. Ah, back in a minute. Hi, Tom Bodette. Motel 6's new improved website lets you book a room and save more for what you travel for faster than ever. Even faster than you can find your keys, which you swore were right on the little hooky thing by the garage door where they always are, and we can land a robot on a comet, but we can't keep keys from disappearing. Oh, here they are. Left them in my jacket. Don't you hate that? I'm Tom Bodette for the new improved Motel6.com, and we'll leave the light on for you. Nowadays, it's more important than ever to know the value of a dollar, or three, or four, or five, or even six. New Dunkin' Go-To's, now with brews. Tasty breakfast combos that give you more bang for your bucks. Get a wake-up wrap with sausage and a medium-hot coffee for $3. A bagel with cream cheese spread and a medium-hot coffee for $4. A bacon, egg, and cheese croissant with a medium-hot coffee for $5. Or a power breakfast sandwich and, you guessed it, a medium-hot coffee for $6. Dunkin' Go-To's, now with brews. America runs on Dunkin'. Participation may vary. Exclusions apply. Limited time offer. Yo, some people think it don't make sense that I'm a horse whisperer. Fancy prance, yo! But you know what else don't make sense? Bye. I mean, it's good for you, but still somehow tastes amazing. Sideways, fancy prance, you heard? Yeah. Clippity-clop, clippity-clop. Yo, I just whispered all of y'all. Too easy. Bye. Five calories, antioxidants, and tastes amazing? None of this makes sense. Car's all yours. Thanks. Cars.com's expert reviews made it easy, but... Shouldn't there be more back and forth? You missed the drama, right? Yeah. Maybe this will do the trick. Oh, it's a puppy. Not a puppy, a wolf. What now? He's a wolf. And that is its incredibly protective mother. Put the wolf down. You guys good? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're good. Yep. Okay. Get the right car without all the drama. Cars.com. All drive. No drama. I don't know what economic class you find yourself in. Are you in that, you make $400,000 or less a year. If you're in that slot, Joe Biden promised you, if his Build Back Better Act ever gets turned into a law, signed into law and is implemented, all that money, that almost $5 trillion that they're going to spend coming out of that bill, they being the federal government, it's all going to be paid for. How are they going to get it paid for? They tell us, middle-class people, people that make $400,000 a year or less, they're not going to see their taxes go up a red cent. So where's the money coming from? Stuart Varney weighed in from Fox Business. He's really sharp at this, and he's good at finding these nuggets of facts and passing them along to us. Senator Elizabeth Warren just told the world how little the left understands about money. Yes, she's a politician driven by ideology, socialist ideology, not economics. She said this, I'm going to abbreviate it so the point is made clear. Quote, we need to get the billionaires to actually pay income tax. 
We have a debt problem, partly because the very richest people just aren't paying, end quote. All right, point number one, please. Senator Warren wants to confiscate the billionaire's wealth, not tax it, confiscate, take, seize, grab it. That is constitutionally questionable at the very least. Point number two. Our massive debt is the result of massive overspending. It's not the result of the rich not paying their fair share. Far from it. Tax revenues are already at record levels. It's spending that's pushing us into uncontrollable debt. No matter how much you tax the rich, you won't pay for all the spending that Senator Warren demands. And then there's Elon Musk, a man worth over 200 billion. Senator Warren tweeted that he should, he should pay taxes and stop freeloading off everyone else. Freeloading. <laughs> Musk is not a man to take that lying down. He fired back, calling her Senator Karen. That's not very nice. If you opened your eyes for just two seconds, you would realize I will pay more taxes than any American in history this year. And he went on, quote, don't spend it all at once. Oh, wait, you did already. I thought that was rather funny. The billionaire and the socialist. The billionaire won, hands down. Senator Elizabeth Warren ran for president, wanted to be the leader of the biggest nation, the most successful nation in world history. And that's her philosophy. She's not through there. You know what else she's after? And she is really getting after it and wants it to happen. She's called for Congress to use its constitutional authority to expand the number of justices on the Supreme Court. This was an op-ed that was published Wednesday in the Boston Globe. She said, expand the Supreme Court. I don't come to this conclusion lightly or because I disagree with a particular decision. I come to this conclusion because I believe the current court threatens the democratic foundations of our nation, she wrote, noting threats to eliminate Roe v. Wade and a person's right to choose sparked her decision. For years, she said, I've argued for reforms to the ethical practices of the Supreme Court. Justices should not be allowed to receive big checks and all-expense-paid trips from extremist right-wing legal groups or go on expensive hunting trips with litigants who appear before the court, she wrote. But the problems with today's court run deeper than just ethical abuses. Warren declared that Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell hijacked America's Supreme Court by denying even a hearing to President Obama's highly qualified nominee, referring to now Attorney General Merrick Garland. Garland never got a hearing for the high court position after Obama nominated him during an election year in 2016. Four years later, McConnell, this is Warren again, reached new heights of hypocrisy when he reversed direction breaking his own rule, barring votes on justices in an election year to ram through the confirmation of Justice Amy Coney Barrett only days before President Biden's election, she wrote. This Republican court packing has undermined the legitimacy of every action the current court takes. Warren claimed the court now leans into extremism and partisanship and has not restored America's confidence in an independent judiciary. Okay, court packing, court packing. Here's the thing that Warren either doesn't understand or thinks we don't understand. Maybe it's a combination of both. I don't know. But she said, basically, well, I'll I'll, I'll just double back and tell you. 
She says that McConnell, well, let me see, where was that? Where was that section where she talked about how she, oh, here it is. I don't come to this conclusion lightly or because I disagree with a particular decision. I come to this conclusion because I believe the current court threatens the democratic foundations of our nation. But she says, I don't, I don't come to this conclusion because it's not based on my opinions about a different, uh, a specific decision or whatever. It, that's exactly what shapes her opinion for doing this and wanting to do it. It has nothing to do with the legal structure of the Supreme Court. It was, it was framed constitutionally by our forefathers. It's supposed to be an independent court which means it's supposed to have independent justices. She's dead set against, she said, about them going on expensive hunting trips with litigants or getting all-expense-paid trips from extremist right-wing legal groups. But in the U.S. House of Representatives and the Senate, that's all everyday fodder. It happens all the time. Why should it be wrong? And I'm not even admitting that that stuff happens in the Supreme Court. I'm sure it does to some extent. But you know what? When you when you uh, accept an appointment to a judgeship or at the United States Supreme Court, when you accept that, your life doesn't end just as their lives don't end when they go serve in Congress. They still have things to do in a private life, and they're allowed to do it. And somebody is welcome to have an opinion about anything, but that doesn't mean it's fact, it's good, or it's what should or shouldn't happen. Even the Washington Post editorial board, the most liberal newspaper in America, they've warned against efforts to pack the Supreme Court in the wake of oral arguments over that Mississippi abortion case that did not proceed in Elizabeth Warren's favor earlier this month. Technically, this court is a 6-3 conservative majority. Some Democrats have renewed calls for packing the court with more justices beyond the traditional nine. Biden's presidential commission that he appointed on the Supreme Court, they finished its 288-page report into what Supreme Court reform would look like But at the end of it all, they would not take a position on court packing. In other words, they basically said, no serious person in either major political party suggests court packing as a means of overturning disliked Supreme Court decisions, whether the decision in question is Roe v. Wade or Citizens United. This is from that report. Scholars could say, until very recently, that even as compared to other court reform efforts, court packing is especially out of bounds. This is part of the Convention of Judicial Independence. That Mississippi 15-week abortion ban, that worries progressives that when it comes time to decide the Supreme Court will gut Roe v. Wade, that landmark 73 abortion right ruling, The concern has Democrats revisiting the court packing plan, but the Washington Post said it wouldn't be wise because Republicans could do the same thing. The pendulum swings, folks. It goes one way and it goes back the other way. Some Democrats believe the solution is to pack the court with Democratic nominees, expanding its size while they still have congressional majorities. 
this would be a historic mistake. It would sap the court's legitimacy for no long-term benefit. Republicans could repack the court the next time they controlled Congress and the White House. The editors did offer that a more bipartisan way to reform it is through term limits, an interval of 18 years. The editors suggest, by way of example, could help lower the stakes of the court confirmation process. The terms they suggest could always end in a staggered manner to give each president an equal number of vacancies. You remember what happened the last few years? I mean, it was like craziness in the nominees and the hearings for Supreme Court justices. Brett Kavanaugh, you remember what he went through? Amy Coney Barrett? I mean, they just got grilled, both of them. And it had nothing to do with the law. That's the part that really blows my mind. It didn't. It had to do with political perspectives on things. Politics are not supposed to run the federal judiciary at any level. The rule of law is the only consideration. And it doesn't matter what Elizabeth Warren thinks. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what you think. The law is the law, and it stands absolute. If we don't like it, change it. We have a process to do that. If we don't like those who are making our laws or refusing to make our laws, get rid of them. There's a process to do that. If you don't like what a Supreme Court justice is doing, get rid of them. There's a process to do that. They can be impeached. It's happened before from the Supreme Court. Say what you will about negativism, about the Constitution. Our forefathers were really smart. They went through this entire process and put it together, and it's virtually flawless in that any time in history that changes need to be made to it, they put a process in it to do just that. And that's what we need to do rather than to fight like dogs, like we're fighting. That's not good for the American people. That's the end of TNN Live on Thursday, folks. Thanks for being here. We're getting closer to Christmas next week. Christmas week begins, and it con- it, it consummates on next Saturday, on Christmas Day. We'll be back tomorrow morning, 9 o'clock. We'll see you then. Thanks for being here with us every time you come. We'll talk soon. Tree. Tree.
treetops glisten and, and children listen to hear sleigh bells in the snow the snow 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 Christmas is